You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Let's just read from verses 1 through 19. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be planted, or excuse me, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have come, when you've done all those things, which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And Lord, as we dig into this section of scripture, the section that you have really ordained for us to be in, you knew we were going to be in this passage today, and you knew that these are the folks that were going to be here to hear this word. And so, Lord, we just petition you, we cry out to you, that you would speak to your people. We've come, Lord, we've, we've, we've desired to hear you and to meet with you today, and And Lord, I pray that you would just fall like fire upon this room and you would just set our hearts on fire for you, Lord, that you'd burn away all the the sin and the chaff and the the bad stuff in our lives. And Lord, that you'd set us on, on fire for you. Just do all that you want to do, Lord. We lay aside our agendas and we just ask you that yours would be accomplished in this place today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the first four verses we studied last week are all about forgiveness. Uh, We talked about confronting your brother and uh, if he's in sin, rebuking him in love, speaking the truth in love. And if he is in sin and he doesn't heed, he doesn't repent of the sin, we talked about the, the process, the biblical process of 
of confronting your brother that you might restore him and gain your brother. And we remember talking about, uh, you know, Peter asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother in a day if he sins against me? Seven times? You know, he asked this question acting like he's the most liberal forgiver on the face of the earth, you know. And Jesus says to him, I assuredly, I'd say to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And as we studied that last week, we realized that Jesus wasn't saying, hey, if your brother sins against you 490 times in a day, you kick him to the curb and never look at him again. But what he's saying is there's an infinite number of times that we're to forgive our brother, even in a day. And that we talked about how the, the concept now is not how many times should I forgive my brother, but now it's why should I give my, forgive my brother? And we talked about how we should forgive our brother because we've been forgiven much. And because we've been forgiven much, we can love much and forgive that brother those things. And so after the disciples heard this, it was the same reaction that they had when they heard Jesus's high standards for marriage. What'd they say? Oh, ay, 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 ay. Lord, increase our faith. 70 times seven. I don't know math very well, but I'm guessing that's like three digits or something, you know. Lord, help me. And so then Jesus just goes on from there. And, and, and as they ask for a, a trust thrust in verse five, verse six, the Lord says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And so there's this quick verse on faith there that, man, if you just have a tiny amount of faith in the Lord, he wants to use that. It's like childlike faith. You know, he loves that people would come to him even with simple hearts and he uses the example of that mustard seed, you know, one of the tiniest known seeds. I can't remember really if it still is or not, but there may be smaller seeds. But, you know, just the, the tiny, tiny seed that if you have that much faith, man, the Lord can use that and act mightily. If that little bit of faith is in the hands of an infinite God, it will move mountains and cast them into the sea. Because 0.5 plus infinity equals what? Infinity 0.5. But, uh, or infinity, you know, you put that amount of trust in the hands of an infinite God, he's going to do infinite things. And so there's just this little quick lesson on, man, have faith. I'm telling you, forgive your brother. Just do it. Don't doubt me. Just do it. If you have that little bit of thing in your heart, this says, okay, I'm, I'm going to forgive him. Boom. Man, the Lord is going to help you to do that. He's going to take that amount you had and he's going to increase it a hundredfold that you could accomplish that task that he's commanding you to do. And so we go from this, this message on faith for one verse. Man, could you imagine that day? That day that you're driving over to Corvallis, you know, and it's a snowy pass and you're just tired of driving on the snowy pass and so hey my god's a big god let's get rid of this mountain you know boom shakalaka you know all of a sudden there's a mountain in the pacific ocean you know could you imagine that day you're just like driving straight through to corvallis you know i mean that'd be awesome you're like telling all your friends and it's on the news and you guys are having a party that the lord was so mighty and awesome to save that's a great day am i not right well how about 
The next day, Monday morning, you know, Monday morning, you're getting up to go to work. Yesterday, you cast a mountain into the ocean. You know, today you're going to work and and you're going to go weld some steel or whatever. Doesn't seem like as exciting of a day, does it? (laughs) You know, and the Lord goes from extreme faith and mountains being cast into the ocean to, hey, let's say you're a slave and your master asks you to do something, you know, and you know, isn't that Christianity? It's times of triumph and victory and yes. And it's times of Monday morning Christianity. You get out of bed, it's the beginning of the week, you gotta, you know, your sinuses are clogged up, your ear aches, you know, and, but hey, God's the still God, on, the same God on the throne today on Monday morning as he was on Friday night. And he wants to do incredible work still, but he kind of goes into just the, uh, a, a different concept about being a servant. He's the same God when you're serving as he was when you were just blowing that mountain out of the out of your way. And in verse 7 through 10, in which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. What Jesus is saying here is that thanks and accolades are not necessary for a servant. They're just doing their task. They're doing what they were captured to do or what they're being paid to do. And the idea here is, in in our case as Christians, we can never do more for our master than what he's already done for us. He doesn't have to thank us. He doesn't have to pat us on the back. He doesn't have to say how grateful he is for us, for our faithful service in the ministry, for being you know, in the children's ministry or for being on the worship team or for being the guy that teaches the message on Sunday mornings or the guy that cleans the toilet. Although we feel like sometimes we might deserve a pat on the back, we don't. We can never outgive our great master. You know, we're constantly serving because we're constantly thanking him through our service. You know, people have said to me, and I've heard it said so often, you know, they come and they pat you on the back and they rub your shoulder and they just say, thank you for allowing the Lord to use you. Well, no problem. You know, no problem. I like to allow the Lord to do a lot of things. You know what? There are so many things wrong with that statement. Thank you for allowing God Almighty who died for you. No, it's my my privilege. Woe is me if I'm not giving Jesus my all. Woe is me if I'm not just everything poured out to the Lord. Of course, I'm not allowing him to use me. I, oh, I get to be used. I get to just be served with every muscle in my body. And frankly, Even on my best day, I'm not that good, (laughs) you know? On my best day, it's not like, Mama Pajama, where did Rory come from today? Woo! You know, no, there's not, it's not like, oh, yes, I am quite wonderful. No, I am not. Talk to Lindsay. Talk to my mom. She'll tell you all of the stories, I'm sure. 
But, you know, I love Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and a lot of you have it memorized, but it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, which is your reasonable service. I petition you, I ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies up, not as a, a, a dead sacrifice. All right, here we go. You know, lay me on the altar and I'm dead. It's over. No, but just like you would lay it on the altar to die, you lay yourself on the altar that you could die and yet live for Jesus. Be a living sacrifice, holy, set apart for God. But then what does it say? It's a reasonable service. It's a reasonable thing to ask for you to give all that you have for Jesus. How can you ask me to do that thing? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? Do you know what I do for a living? Do you know how busy I am? No, I don't care. Whatever you're doing, do it for Jesus 100%, 24-7. That's not too much to ask. That's a very reasonable thing to ask. And I love that Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1 that though I'm being poured out, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad to do it. I mean, to pour out an offering is like, it's everything. It's all out. It's emptied. And Paul says, I'm emptied onto you. And that we might have that heart as well, that we would be emptied out for the Lord. It's a reasonable thing for us to do. And I love this delirious song and there's just one phrase on it, and it's to the, to the song sanctified, which means set apart. And it says this, and all you want is all I have. <laughs> that's it. Hey, all I want is all you have. <laughs> oh, really? That's everything. Yeah, that's all he wants from us. That's all he deserves from us is everything that we are and everything that we can give. And you know what? This servant says to his master when they come in from the field, a hard day's work, and when he doesn't get to sit down on the couch and watch TV and get, you know, dinner on the TV tray, you know what the servant says after serving and then finally after a late night getting to eat himself a quick meal and go to bed, you know what he says? This is what he says is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm adding something. I hope you don't mind. He's just saying, it's the least I can do. It's the least I can do, Lord. Look at what you've done for me. You've given me everything. You gave your life for me. It's the least I could do. The least I could do is give you everything that I have. Well, then they began to move uh, down through the region of Galilee. And as we read verse 11 through 12, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the mists of Samaria and Galilee. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's not filler words here that it says he went to Jerusalem, or he's on his way to Jerusalem. It's not like, hey, we need an introduction for this little story. What should we put in there? I don't know. Put something about going somewhere, you know? Okay, let's say he's going to Jerusalem. No, this is inspired, God-breathed words here. And you know what it means? is that Jesus had a mission his whole life. And Luke's been trying to tell us the whole time what that mission is. 
And that mission is to go down to Jerusalem and to give his life as a sacrifice for many. And this is that part of the gospel, the second half of the latter parts of the gospel where you know, that you start seeing them heading south in Israel towards Jerusalem so that Jesus can give himself away as a ransom for many. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And so he's on the outskirts of the village and that's where all the lepers would be. They weren't allowed to be in the city or in the town or in the village, but they'd all be outside in the caves or in these little huts and and, and tents trying to stay away from the township. They were rejected as lepers because they had a contagious disease. And so it says here that they, they stood afar off. They stood afar off and they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so as we look at lepers, we need to understand what leprosy was. Leprosy means smitten and it's an, it's an unclean disease according to the law in Leviticus 13 and 14. In fact, you can flip to Leviticus 13 right now. And keep your finger there because we're going to read a few passages out of it. The Talmud says that leprosy is second to death on its list of 61 defilements. So there's all these things that will defile you. Leprosy and finally just dying and rotting. Okay, so leprosy was uh, as good as dead. You might as well have been dead. And as we'll study, leprosy would bring separation from the community as a person would need to yell, unclean, unclean, whenever they were within 150 feet of somebody. Man, do you ever feel isolated? Do you ever feel like, oh, nobody likes me, you know? Do you ever feel like that guy at school who's walking through the halls and everyone's just kind of like, hmm, who's that character? But have you ever had to be like, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, don't look at me. You'll catch something, you know? Well, the lepers had to do that, the poor people. An incredible thing about leprosy in the scriptures is that it's always a picture of sin. It's always a picture of sin. And I'm going to give you four different ways that it's a type or a picture of sin. Number one, leprosy and sin are both deeper than the skin. You could write a little song about it if you wanted to. No? Leprosy and skin deeper than... No? Am I the only one? Okay. I like to rhyme. But in Leviticus 13.3, let's read it. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Not the most pleasant passage of scripture to read. Kind of makes your stomach got here at 6 o'clock this morning and was eating cottage cheese and reading this. And I was like, okay, we will put that aside for the time being. Then I was examining all my hairs on my arm and we're good. Don't think there's any leprosy. But in the beginning stages of leprosy, the skin began to take on a hard, 
glossy appearance, and later on it would become scaly. Dr. Henry Brandt was a researcher of leprosy in Hawaii, and he made an incredible discovery that transformed the way that people researched leprosy. One day he was having trouble unlocking a door with one of those old style keys and a little leper boy came up to him and said, here, let me try and open the door with ease. Well, the doctor then looked at the boy and noticed that the boy's hand was bleeding and and the boy didn't even complain or whine or cry or anything. And so Dr. Henry Brandt said, hey, let me see your hand. He opened it up and there was a giant rip in the boy's hand. He had basically torn open his hand. It was then that the doctor then began to realize that leprosy causes the loss of fingers and toes because the nerve endings begin to die. And in Hawaii, in his research, rats would come in at night and nibble on the fingers and the toes and the people wouldn't even know it. They couldn't feel it. And man, isn't that a picture of sin in our life? How so quickly we go from being offended by sin and and turning away from sin and running from sin to slowly compromising and letting it in and and pretty soon you become numb to sin and it doesn't affect you anymore pretty soon you're allowing the the movies into your house and you're you know you're you're looking at the images or you're 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 drinking the intoxicating drink to the point of drunkenness and 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 you're just numb to it It doesn't bother you anymore you know oh you know the f-bomb doesn't bother me i grew up hearing it all the time you know it doesn't bother and pretty soon you're saying it you know and it's just numbness you know we have the spirit of god in us you know who who is a holy god he's a moral god and and even as believers we're to live holy and moral lives just as jesus is holy and moral. And yet so quickly when we begin to compromise and let our guard down, we just become numb. You know, pretty soon we start letting more and more sin in and it becomes, it it begins to be deeper than the skin. There's a man named Richard Stein, who was a brilliant man who wrote a book on leprosy. And he actually, in his research was around the lepers so much that he contracted it. And before he knew that he had leprosy, he went blind because in the morning he would wash his face with scalding hot water and steaming hot wash rags for months. And pretty soon he went blind and then he began to to wonder what was going on, found out he had leprosy. And many people, as they would go blind or lose appendages, at first they would take the appearance of a lion and eventually their nose would disappear and they would take on a strong odor that was known to be smelled a hundred yards away. And so just the excruciating pain that they were going through and the, and the isolation and the stench and just what a picture that our sin is. Our sin stinks, you know, and as our nerves begin to be damaged towards sin and we just start letting it in and it doesn't bother us anymore, our outward appearance starts to take on that. Uh, that the traits of that sin, what you see popping out of people's lives is a manifestation of what's inside them. Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I remember having that argument with a friend in high school who had a filthy mouth. (laughs) And I remember sharing with him. Yeah. You know, isn't it interesting that Jesus says out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. 
and you just drop all those filth, that filthy language, you know that that tells me about your heart. <laughs> but you can have a clean heart today. And yeah, it didn't go super well. I don't know. Maybe I didn't have, <laughs> maybe I didn't have tact there. But leprosy and sin is deeper than the skin. Number two, leprosy and skin both, or skin, <laughs> leprosy and sin both spread. If you don't destroy leprosy, it'll destroy you. If you don't destroy sin, it will destroy you. And as you're still in Leviticus 13, I'm sure, look at verse 5. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore has faded... And the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, and after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. And so... In the same manner, sin spreads. It spreads in our life. It's like leaven, Paul tells us. A little bit of leaven in a lump of bread will soon turn the whole bread sour. It soon leavens the whole lump. That's why we need to deal with sin right away in our lives when it's, when it's made manifest and when we're, when we're aware of it. The third way that sin and leprosy are the same are that they both defile and isolate. They defile and they isolate. If you look in verse 44 of Leviticus 13, he's a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so we see that there is shame that comes with being a leper. As you have to announce to the public that you're coming and stay away. I stink. I'm rotting. I'm a living dead person, you know, stay away from me. And just the shame that comes as you're isolated in the same way, shame comes with sin and we tend to isolate ourselves and we all know people or it's ourselves. And right now here today, maybe you, you've been isolating yourself because of sin. You know, at first you were active and involved in, in loving Christ and being involved in the ministry you know, you're in, your, in the Word and in fellowship with Christ regularly. And pretty soon when you become numb and you, you, you start to isolate yourself, you know, pretty soon you're not at Wednesday night anymore. Or you're not at Sunday morning anymore. You're not at the home group anymore. And, and you know that people, you know, you think people know your sin. You know, you have a hard time looking them in the eye and, oh, they know what I've done or they know, ah, you know, and, and we tend to isolate ourselves. No one knows what you did for goodness sakes. You know, it's like people just are condemning themselves and convicted. And it's like, Lord forbid somebody finds out. I'm just going to isolate myself and never be seen again. 
But what a lie that is of the enemy. As Paul tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except as such as common to man. It's common to man. Whatever it is. Oh no, it's so bad. There's no way. No one's ever done this before. No one's ever said that. I think I made that word up. Yeah. But I know in my heart what it meant. And I better never say, you know, it's like, hey, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And you know what? There's brothers and sisters in this room that are probably struggling with the exact same thing. And he goes on to say, and with that, he will make the way of escape. It's common to man. Just open your eyes and look around. When the temptation is there, there's the way of escape as well. The third way that leprosy and sin are similar is in chapter 13, verse 55 of Leviticus. And that is that it renders things fit for the fire. It renders things fit for the fire. You you read these chapters and if you had a blanket at home that perhaps is a leprous blanket, maybe it touched someone that knew someone that had someone in their family that was a leper, you know, you would take this blanket to the priest and he would examine it. He'd examine the stitching He'd examine underneath the, the little corners and, you know, he'd give it to you. And there's nothing wrong with your blanket, dude. You're kind of paranoid about your blanket, you know. Um, but if it was leprous, you had to burn it and go through a purification process. I don't know why you just wouldn't burn it in the first place if you're wondering if your blanket had leprosy. But special Christmas presents, you know what I mean. Brought this home from Mexico and it has a hole in it and you can put it over your head. It looks pretty cool. But um, the rabbis felt that leprosy was a direct judgment from God. And that just as that blanket was fit for the fire, so the, so the person with leprosy was fit for the fire. And how that's just the same with sin. It renders things fit for the fire. It destroys lives and marriages and people and minds that were created to worship God. It destroys bodies and property. You know, sin isn't bad because God says it's bad. God says sin is bad because it's bad and it's going to destroy you and everything around you and it will render you fit for the fire. And that's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 9 verse 42 that if your hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. If your eyeball causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better to go to heaven without a hand or without an eye than to go to hell with both of those things. And now Jesus isn't advocating self-mutilation here. We'd all be, you know, a head on a wheelchair with a safety belt around it, you know, somehow being brought in here, you know. But what he is saying is take drastic measures to get rid of sin in your life. You're struggling with, you know, what you're looking at on the Internet then pull that plug out of, the, out of the wall, take that computer out of that private chambers or wherever it is, and set up accountability. There's an incredible program out there called Covenant Eyes. I have it, uh, Stuart has it, and, and basically what it does is you install it on your computer and it sends all the websites you go to to your accountability partner, and they'll know every website. It's just, man, it's so nice to just, I'm blameless. I'm blameless. You guys can know that I'm blameless. And, you know, my wife is one of my accountability partners and she can know that, you know, that I'm not looking at any filthy thing. 
And it's so freeing to be able to go home and just go, man, I am not going to get myself in trouble. You know, so if, if, if that's a struggle for you, get covenantized. Covenantized.com, $7.99 a month. Okay, anyways. You know, or if the alcohol cabinet is causing you to stumble, take it out and burn it. You know, if the magazine collection, burn it. You know, if, uh, you know, if the friends and the relationships that you're hanging out with are corrupting you, burn them. No, don't burn those people. But, you know, separate yourself from those situations. It's better to go to heaven without those things in your life and to have, have had them on the earth than to go to hell saying, well, at least I had high-speed internet in my bedroom and I could check my email anytime I wanted. Okay, probably not the most important thing. It renders things fit for the fire. It's been said that... It's been said that sin will take you where you never thought you'd go. It'll make you do things that you never thought you'd do. And it'll keep you in those places longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And it'll make you pay a price that you never thought you'd pay. And I'll tell you what, as you look at Jonah running from the Lord, starts out and he goes down to Joppa, running from the Lord. Runs down to Joppa, gets on a boat, goes down into the boat, (laughs) sets sail to sea, is thrown overboard in the sea and goes down into the sea, is swallowed by a fish. How much lower can we go here? It goes down in the fish into the bottom of the sea. I'll tell you how much lower you can go as you're resisting God's heavy hand of conviction on your life. The lower you can go is the fire is hell, where the flame does not die and the fire is not quenched. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And man, how much better to just get rid of the sin in your life and not let it spread anymore. Let's look at verse 13 in Luke chapter 17. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In the Greek, the lifting up their voices is, is phonus megalis, or as we say, megaphone. Jesus, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy. Take pity on me. Look at me. I need help. I am so depraved right now. The depravity level is 100% on my body right now. I need mercy, Lord. And where they usually were saying, unclean, unclean. They now say, Jesus, save me. Perhaps the Samaritan that we read about here was the first one to shout it out. And, and the implication is that he was among Jews. And perhaps the Jews, you know, who hated Samaritans, but happened to be around this guy because they all were miserable. You know, perhaps they were saying, don't yell at him. He won't listen to you. He's a, you know, you're a leper and you're a Samaritan. You got two strikes against you. I forget you. Help me. <laughs> Help me, I'm wretched, I need help. And I love that Jesus responds in verse 14, so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. I love that he responded to their cries with his eyes. He looked on them. 
In verse, chapter 9, verse 36, it says that Jesus saw the crowd and he was moved with compassion because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the interesting, the language there speaks of the compassion that runs so deep that you're moved in your bowels with compassion for somebody. You know, I'm the kind of guy that if I go to Wendy's or some, oh, what do we have here? Um, you know, a tasty treat. Uh, and someone's sitting by themselves, I almost start crying. I mean, I just moved for compassion. These people are lonely. <laughs> Until I got married to Lindsay, who's a little tougher than me, and she goes, did you ever stop and think that they want to be by themselves? <laughs> you know, I'd go sit by them. How are you doing today? Do you need a friend? Yeah. But anyways, you know, <laughs> I just moved with compassion. Do you need a pal, a buddy? Nope, good here. Okay. But uh, he is moved with compassion. And as he sees these guys, he is moved with compassion. And he, he responds to their cries and he says, Go and show yourselves to the priest. When you read Leviticus chapter 14, you read of a long, drawn out process on how to go through the cleansing ceremony. The law had been on the books for 1,500 years. And think about it. This is really the first time it had ever been used. You've got Naaman, who was a Gentile that was cleansed from leprosy. You've got uh, Miriam and, and Aaron, and, and they were cleansed from leprosy real quick, but it had been thousands of years. You know, Jesus is basically saying, go show the priests that a miracle has happened because a miracle was the only way people could be cured from leprosy. Something supernatural. Something messianic. And here Jesus says, go, show the priest. Their jaws are going to drop open. Now the interesting thing is, is that these guys had not yet been cured of their leprosy. They still had leprosy. Hey, go show yourself to the priest. Uh, not much to show right now. Still a leper. Maybe you could, you know, do some of that crazy spit in the mud, hakalugi in the mug, rub it on me or something like that, you know? You're pretty famous for that, Lord, you know? He's like, no, not needed. Just go to the priest, and as you go to the priest, not yet having been healed, you're going to develop faith on the way, saying, I believe the Lord can heal me, and by the time I get to the temple, I'm going to be healed. It's really a beautiful thing that he didn't pronounce some sort of healing words on them and he didn't touch them because you see a different type of faith exercised by these guys. And so they had to go and they had to show themselves to the priests who were kind of like the purity inspectors that would begin this long drawn out process. But the long drawn out process wasn't necessary now because they were completely healed. Is a clear sign that Jesus was there and he was the Messiah. An amazing, uh, another story of, of a leper and Jesus' encounter is in Matthew chapter 8, if you'll flip there. Verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to the priests. 
You know, one rabbi said, I would not so much as buy an egg from a market that was on the street that a leper once walked down. This is love. This is love. Okay. Another rabbi said, when I see a leper coming, I throw stones at them until they turn around and go in the other direction. I'll say again, this is love. Okay. No, there's no love there. You know, gee, thanks for the love, rabbi. You know, don't you think maybe you could pray for me or something and pray that God would heal me? But you know what? It sounds really harsh, those rabbis and the way they treated the lepers. But this is exactly what we do when we know a person has sin in their life. We almost further them isolating themselves by not looking at them. I know what he did. Not pretty, you know. And, well, gee, thanks for the love. I was actually just going to come confess to you, but apparently you won't even look at me, you know? And, you know, we, we push them away or we begin to gossip about them. We throw rocks at them. We don't buy eggs at the same grocery store that they shop at. That's a little bit extreme. But this guy in Matthew chapter 8, he had the courage, even though nobody liked him, he had the courage to go right through the crowd He's like, forget the unclean thing. He goes right through the cloud and he asks Jesus for a healing. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And as we're doing the type of sin here, is the Lord willing that we be cleansed today? Is he be willing that that we're, uh, is he be willing? Or another way to raise that would be, is he willing that we're cleansed from our sin once and for all. Of course he is. What do you think he came and died on the cross for? Petition the Lord. Ask the Lord. Believe the Lord. Fast. Spend time, spend time praying and seeking the Lord for this deliverance. But you know what? I even believe that there's a, there can be an immediate healing. Just as the leper reached out, or Jesus rather, touched the leper and healed him immediately, it says. And I love Mark's gospel because that word immediately is used so much of Jesus. Jesus touched him. Jesus had a touching ministry. He touched this dirty, stinky, ravaged, appendages missing, you know. He reached out and he touched this little guy that he could be healed Immediately, And you know what? The Lord is never, ever going to refuse somebody who needs healing from sin. He's not going to refuse you. You know, he's never going to refuse someone who wants restoration or wisdom. You know, there were thousands of lepers at this time, but only one of them, or in this case in Luke, 10 of them came to ask Jesus for healing. These people had all said, you know, we need to stay away from Jesus because we're unclean and because we're sinners. But that's not the Lord's heart at all. Did you know that the Lord can handle your sin? He can, he's heard it all. He knows what it is. He knows what it is already, what you struggled with. But you know, he's not going to be embarrassed of your sin or shocked of your sin or horrified of your sin or confused of your sin. How can they even do that? <laughs> you know, he's not going to be shocked at all. I mean, the lepers are coming and Jesus turned... Hey, Jesus, come heal me. Hey, who is that? Oh, gosh. Oh. 
Somebody get this guy away from me. It's being so bad, you know. Hey, Peter, you take this one. I'm going to go get a coffee. You know. <laughs> no, he's not shocked. He's not embarrassed. You did what? Oh, that is raunchy, you know. Uh, he's not shocked. He's not embarrassed. And I love that Hebrews says that, you know, he was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. You know, that's what makes Jesus better than the angels, Hebrews tells us. He's better than the angels because he's God and he created the angels. But he's also better than the angels because he was a man and he lived a life that the angels never lived. And he experienced pain and hunger and suffering and torment. He sweated blood. He had friends betray him. He experienced things that angels never could, including temptation in which he was a victor and he didn't sin even once, but he's sympathetic towards us. And Hebrews tells us that he's a ready help for us in time of needs. The language there is that he's a medic. He's like a medic on a battlefield, you know, medic, I need help here. And the Lord's like, been there, here to help. He's not shocked, but rather he's experienced it so that he can be a, a, a sympathetic high priest and that he can intercede for us night and day before the Father. He can handle our sin. But some errors that we make before we come to the Lord and cry out, you know, Master, have mercy on me. Some errors. Error number one would be that we would say, when I deal with my leprosy, then I will let the Lord touch me. I'll deal with it. You know... I'm going to move out of living with my girlfriend, you know, but I really love her. And so it's going to take some time to just start not loving her, you know, and then we'll break up. And then, you know, I got to deal with those other things. And, you know, so I'll see you in about mm, 30 to 40, 50, maybe years, 60, maybe, you know, it's never going to happen. But rather come to the Lord now because you're never going to get it together unless Jesus touches you. And he will because he's sympathetic and he'll heal you. The second error we make is by saying, touch me, Lord, but I don't want to get it together. <laughs> you know, no, if Jesus touches you, then you will be changed. How could you ever be the same? Let's read verses 15 through 19 there in Luke 17. They, so they went and as they were on their way, verse 14 at the end, they... They were cleansed. In verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And so, man... It's crazy because, you know, I always read this and thought that really the, the application here and, and the, um, the observations were having an, a thankful heart, you know, not being like the nine, but being like this one that came back. And that's good application. And we are going to get to that. But really, there's more than this. The context of this, it, it distinguishes the individual as, as not so much a thankful non-thankful situation as to hear the issue with this uh, leper is that it's seeing versus not seeing. This leper saw something in Jesus 
that the other lepers didn't see. He's the only one that came back. They all saw and they all were healed, but this dude saw something that the other nine didn't see in him. And that while he was on his way to the temple, he thought to himself, why not just go to the guy that healed me? <laughs> you know, why not go pray to this man who, who's one of the only men who's ever healed a leper? And so it's incredible because he, verse 15 and 16, you see these words, saw, returned, glorified, fell, thanked. And he came to the feet of Jesus and he glorified and he thanked Jesus. And that's the surprise here. That's the beautiful thing here. You know, he, he, he realized that it wasn't a temple that he needed but it was the great high priest he needed. And he realized, he saw then and there that Jesus was that great high priest. This Samaritan, he saw the gift that was in the giver here. And there's a warning to us to beware of any religious experience that leads you anywhere other than Christ. If it leads you other than worshiping Jesus, then you're going to the wrong place. And the cool thing is, is I love that there's that tiny sentence there, and he was a Samaritan. You know, most of us kind of have an idea that Samaritans weren't exactly liked. But Samaritans were actually hated because after the Assyrian captivity, when they came back, if they came back to the, to the, uh, the area there in, in northern Israel, they began to mingle and mix with the Assyrians and they began to worship in a way that was kind of half Assyrian paganism and half uh, Judaism. And so the Jews hated that about him. They began to look on the Samaritans as kind of a mixed breed or a half breed, kind of not really Gentile, not really Jew, not really, you know, pagan, not really, not really pagan, you know? And so they just hated that. And here we see the incredible thing. It was, it was a Samaritan that came and fell at the feet of Jesus. And he said, you know, what priest am I supposed to go to? What temple? And he ended up coming and, and falling at the feet of Jesus. And the lesson here for us is that if you've never fallen at the feet of Jesus, then today you remain unconverted and you're still in your sins and you're not saved. And the hard news is that you have a destiny of hell in front of you. Now, sure, maybe you're becoming a better person. Maybe you're like a leper that the leprosy seems to be going away. And yet, if you're not falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Jesus, then you're still unconverted. You're not born again. And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. This foreigner here, this Samaritan, is the one who has the faith. But there is the difference there between the thankful Samaritan and the non-thankful other ten. And it's interesting how many people are cleansed of their sin and yet go their way acting as though they'd never been forgiven or saved. They just go back to the old ways. They stay in a lifestyle of complacency. Perhaps they even go back to the same old friends. Perhaps these lepers went back. I have no other friends. I have no other home. I'm just going to go back and get a few things back from the leper colony and try to start a fresh start, you know. And as they go back there, they stay there for a few days. They're around leprosy, which is contagious. All of a sudden, they're lepers again. 
Could you imagine how tragic that would be if you're finally delivered and healed of leprosy and you go back and you live with the lepers and you become a leper again? That's not the Lord's heart. Man, He wants us to come after we've been healed and cleansed and fall at His feet. He wants through our fellowship with Jesus that we might be, that we might be changed. In 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 9, there's a warning there that if you're lacking the fruits of the Spirit after having been cleansed, that you're short-sighted even to blindness and you've already forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sins. Isn't that sad that a, that a believer could, could go to that place? In the next chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it is, excuse me, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. How sad to be healed and cleansed from our sins and yet compromise and numbness sets in and it begins to grow deeper and deeper until finally you're isolating yourself from believers and from fellowship and from Jesus himself and pretty soon you're not around anymore and we're wondering where you went maybe you moved to Idaho who knows (laughs) you know and pretty soon you've come to a place like a dog returning to your vomit It's a dangerous, scary place to be. You know, the message of Jesus remains today a message of division. You know, Jesus said, I I come to bring a sword and I'm coming to bring, you know, I'm going to separate mothers from sons and best of friends. Not because I don't want them to be buddies and friends, but because one of them is going to reject me and the other one's going to understand that to follow me is to make, to, to be a living sacrifice. And to no longer compromise. And perhaps to even just completely separate from the people that would cause you to stumble. And then as we close today, I just love verse 19. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or it could also be read, your faith has saved you. It's your faith that saves you from your sins and from your leprosy. And as the worship team comes back up, just go ahead and put your stuff to the side. And Maybe you're here today and you're in that place of those, those other nine lepers. Yeah, I know God, or yeah, I've seen Him move. Yeah, I've seen miracles. I believe in God. And, and yet you're just going to the priest. You're just going to the temple. You're just religious. When Jesus says so much more that you can know Jesus, you're to know Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. 
And today, maybe you're just trapped in sin. You're, you're a leper spiritually. The sin has gone down deep. It's made you do things you never thought you'd do. Your family's destroyed. Your body's destroyed. Your home is destroyed. Your friendships are destroyed or on the brink of it. You've isolated yourself and maybe this is the first time you've been in fellowship in a long time and you're setting yourself up for destruction. But today, today you see Jesus off in the distance and you have the option of either being like all the other thousands of lepers and just saying, we can't go around him, we're dirty, we're unclean, I'm ashamed, just not do it. Or you can be bold like the lepers we read about today. And you can cry out today for the master. That the master might touch you. That the master might heal you. And today you can be saved. You can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from bondage. You can be saved from yourself. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And today I'm going to ask you to do a very bold and brave thing. It's right there on the bravery scale is, is, is so brave. It's like what the lepers did. Going through the crowd when everyone hated you and spitting on you and get out of here and don't come to Jesus. And, and yet that man was so brave. And these other guys were so brave to call out to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do a very brave thing this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand up in the midst of this crowd and to say, Jesus, I'm a leper. Cleanse me. Jesus, I'm in bondage. Jesus, I'm addicted. Jesus, I'm filthy. I'm falling apart. I need a miracle today. And Lord, I want you to touch me and I want to be changed and I want to fall at your feet and worship you and glorify you. And it's a brave thing to do. It takes courage. But you know what? Jesus showed us that he loves us so much that he died naked and open on a cross, on a Roman street, where people would spit him and mock him. He was, he was tormented. He was tortured. He was executed. And he is worthy of a little bit of bravery from us that we could stand up and say, Lord, I want to be healed from my leprosy because that's what you died for, to heal me of my sin. And I just want to encourage you where we're at to just stand if that's you, to be bold and to be brave and to know that you're in a company of people that are not going to mock you, but we're going to rejoice that you want to be cleansed and just be part of what the Lord is doing in our midst. If that's you, I just encourage you to stand and just say, Rory, will you pray for me? I want all that healing that you're talking about. The Lord sees you. Is there anybody else? Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. 
Is there anybody else here? The Lord sees you. The Lord sees you. Just as you stand, just know this is faith. This is the same faith that as those lepers were walking to the temple, they were exercising that same type of faith. And even today, you feel like this is a mustard seed size faith. Well, the Lord wants to use that mustard seed size faith to completely deliver you today. And maybe you're here today and you've struggled with sin your whole life and you just desire that once and for all, you be healed today. Just stand. Just allow the power in your legs to just, to just pick you up off your seat and to just say, Lord, I want to respond to your word today. The Lord sees you too. Anybody else? Be bold, be brave. Awesome. Awesome. Just know as the Lord sees you and he's rejoicing. For some of you, it's an act of just first time faith today and you're being saved. You're being born again right now. You're saved from, from sin and from yourself and from hell. Saved to eternal life and victory and getting to be with Jesus forever. And just enjoy this moment. It's the most special moment in your life. Just hear the pen set to the pad in heaven, writing your name in the Lamb's book of life. Feel the stamp of the Holy Spirit on you, sealing you as a guarantee for your salvation. Beautiful moment right now. Maybe you're a Christian today and, and oh, I just, I've been in sin, I've been struggling and I went back, I've been living, been living back with the lepers. I'm becoming a leper again. I, I don't want that, Jesus. I come and I fall at your feet. Is there anybody else? Just be bold, be brave, be strong. Stuart's going to play and, and just, we're going to just kind of reserve standing today for those that just want to be healed from sin. Maybe for the first time you want to be saved today. Maybe as a believer you just want to be, you know, you just want to have that thorn in the flesh removed. And we'll just pray for you. And we're going to have the elders come forward in this last song. And, you know, we're not like Catholics where you have to confess your sin to the priest. But we do believe that where you confess your sins to one another, there is healing that happens. And today, maybe you just want to confess sin and just be healed and start that healing process. The elders will be up here and the elders' wives and they'll pray with you. If you're a girl, you just want to pray with a girl, just come on up and pray with the elders' wives. Maybe you just want to come and just bow down at the altar and bow down at the feet of Jesus and grab his ankles and say, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you deliver me. in these closing songs. That's what we're going to do right now. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.